0: I'm David S. Dawson from The Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. Welcome to Play Comics, where once again, we are here talking to a creator about their cool stuff. Today, we are talking to Tayson Martindale about his book, The Keepsakers, which will, well, God willing, will be hitting shelves March 29th this year. UPS, please don't screw this up for me. Tayson, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for that, that hopeful, wishful thinking. UPS has let me down a lot lately, so I know it's going to be their fault if it screws up, even if they're not the ones actually making the delivery. (laughs) I'm right
1: there with you in that boat.
0: But we have some happier things, happier is maybe a strong word for it with the way this book started, but some happier things to talk about with this one. Um, first off, for anybody who doesn't know, what is your elevator pitch for the Keepsakers?
1: All right, perfect. So the elevator pitch is in a world where nightmares are more than just bad dreams. Stuffies are the last line of defense against the things that go bump in the night. Um, so that's kind of the wrapping paper that the story is, is presented in. And then the actual heart of the story is kind of about uh overcoming grief and the importance of letting go but also the power of holding on um and it's kind of wrapped up in the in the story of stuffies kid stuffies being like their little protectors against these nightmares and dark things that kind of manifest with the more fear there is and the less hope there is
0: so how long have you been working on this one this one it's kind
1: of interesting because um the concept for this one actually i it was a couple different concepts i had like this one idea i was playing around with years ago about kind of like an afterlife for stuffies and what, what that would look like kind of thing uh and then and then another one with um with another idea that kind of merged together and it took me two years from start to finish uh from like the first first kind of thumbnails i did for page one to finishing the last draft of the book to finish it uh and i actually finished it uh a while ago and then with the with the whole heart of the pandemic kind of overturning indie publishing it delayed everything for a while uh so it actually it almost kind of feels there's enough time from when i finished it to now when it's coming out that it almost feels like i've written a whole new graphic novel that i didn't even remember and I'm like oh cool that was easy so
0: yeah about two years start to finish so I have hope then for my thing because it's only been three since I first planted that idea seed
1: oh well there you go and also um like that's two years the two years is working on the book uh and there was years and years of just ideas kind of meshing together coming together uh, a lot of starting and then being like nope this is garbage i'm not doing it and then something just kind of clicking so yeah lo- most stories are very very old
0: i'll ask this the silly way the same way i asked mike kind of the same thing everybody who worked on this book with you how did you sucker them into helping you make it
1: (laughs) yeah that's a great question uh so i knew mike and everyone from invaders from my first graphic novel box boy which they published in 2018 um so i kind of had their ear and they were the whole way that came together was quite a thing too because uh when i made box boy i was in the frame of mind of like Okay, I just want to I really want to make this thing and I want to I don't if it never gets published and no one else sees it, that's totally fine. I just want to make it and have it be made. And that kind of mind frame helped me actually finish the book and not kind of just get discouraged and give up. Well, I did that a few like about four different times making it. But let me allow actually finish the book. And then I sent it out to some places um, just like, OK, well, it's finished now, I'll send it out. And then I heard back from uh, from Mike saying like, hey, we love this. We'd like to look into it and to publish in it. And I was like, oh, OK, that was that's like one of my biggest dreams of since I was a child. And it's coming true. So thank you very much. And they were just so awesome with that. Um, it, like they literally had mike and the whole team there made a dream come true and they've done it again with this uh and so i knew them from box boy and so a couple years ago and i was starting or actually a few years ago when i was starting writing this one i kind of reached out to them and said like hey like you know like this is what i'm are you interested in hearing this story and i kind of send him the the treatment for it and and he was like yeah keep us posted and um and then when i finished it send it to them and and it was just really they have been so awesome. Um, it, I know it, the, the story kind of hit Mike uh, pretty hard at a, at a tough time in life with kind of themes that it deals with and, and actually myself, too. Uh, this book, we can talk more about the um, like what, like the tough kind of parts of it in a bit. But basically it was kind of based off of when I lost my father, uh, so, um, almost six years ago now. And I actually lost my mother um last year. Uh kinda of fairly I got it kinda of hit me like we weren't fully expecting it. Uh and the book kinda of took on a whole new feel for me. Like I'd finished it at that time, but I was like, Oh, wow, okay, this is the thing and, and um so it kinda of, kinda of, caught all of us uh, uh, in a tough moment um, and so mike was like i'm a bit too close to this right now and he handed it off to joey Esposito, who's uh was the editor for this book and he made some amazing amazing contributions to the book um specifically there's one part that so the the main character is this little stuffed rabbit named fenny and uh she's given to the uh, one of the other main characters becky this little girl uh and they kind like that's they they kind of are the the heart of the book and originally i had had it so that a character actually from box boy the first graphic novel uh ends up giving fanny to the little girl and i was like oh this is so cool it all ties together this big like world building thing and and joy was like like when he read it, he's like i love this this is really good i don't understand this though what like why who is this boy who's giving this stuffy and he made some suggestions that really strengthened the story um and just yeah long way of saying i love everyone at invader and they they helped bring this book to life physically and also bring the story to life in ways that i think make it such a a better story than what i started with so i i love working with them
0: and how about the creative team on the book itself
1: um, so for the book itself, I it was pretty much just me. I, I did the writing and the, the art, and it's actually – and it's a hand-lettered book, too. Um, it's funny. When I started getting into comics years, you know, when I was a kid and stuff, I'd hate the hand-lettered comics. It's so hard to read. I don't like this. And, and something switched where now I just love that style. Um, but at the same time, it's like a trade-off where – where it like it maybe it's a little it's a little bit harder to read but it also kind of fits with the style of the the drawings and things too um, but but yeah so I did all of uh, all of the 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 writing uh, and drawing like the, the the art and stuff for the book um, and then invader also helped with uh, the cover design uh, the lettering the logo uh, and the name itself actually the original title the working title was doors um, And it was it's like thematically that works, but it's not a super uh, attention grabbing title and it's not a really good searchable title. Uh, And I think it was Mike who came up with the Keepsakers. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. I like that.
0: Um, So so yeah, yeah, that was that was awesome. So who from your childhood would join the Keepsakers team?
1: hmm that's actually an interesting question um a lot of uh of the main character stuffies are based off of my own stuffies growing up um the rabbit especially i had a little rabbit stuffed rabbit named skippy uh and uh that i carried around everywhere and i had uh, a big big stuffed dog named george that um I think my parents sold it at a garage sale when I wasn't looking when I was younger. That was actually a, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, I was sad about that for a while. I think I'm still sad about that. It was, it was a great stuffy. Uh, and the panda, I had like a little panda and everything. So, uh, a lot, yeah, a lot of them are all based off my, my own stuffies from my own childhood. Um, and uh, so, so it'd be them. It'd be, <laughs> I've got, they are, they are the keepsakers.
0: That was a question I had planned on asking you anyway. And then I saw at the end of the book that they were already based on all your stuff. So... I don't know. Like, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you just have to ask those questions that you already know the answer to, because that's kind of how interviews work, getting the information out. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I noticed you were using HAD for all of them. Do you still have any of them? <laughs> I, I
1: I actually do. Um, I have, like, the, the rabbit, uh, actually I have all of them (laughs) now that I think about it except for George George that's why I'm so bitter about that um but and I I actually as I was like working on the character designs early on and refining them um I I pulled I went and found them and pulled them out and I had them on my my desk uh, while I was working on it so uh yeah my my work area
0: looked like a little kid's room for the longest time to be fair, my desk looks like a little kid's desk right now with all the toys around it.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, and I should say there's a bunch of toys around my desk as well, but they're like toys I bought later in life.
0: So when I first started reading this, um, I hadn't looked at any kind of previews recap of it or Mike had given me like a one-sentence thing when he was just giving me a bunch of people that I should talk to. And so I came into this basically blind. Like I had seen the cover by the time I started reading this and those first 16 or so pages, were you consciously trying to make a sadder opening than up or was that something that just came out? (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) Yeah. I actually struggled with the
1: opening for quite a while. I've got I, I've got like a few even pages of artwork in different stages that I'd started and then stopped and started and stopped and I just could never find the right Way to kick off the story. Uh, And actually, beginnings are one of the hardest things for me when I'm writing my stories. Uh, I usually have like a really good ending in mind and a good, like some good moments in between. Um, But I get so stressed out about beginning it in like a strong way in a way that can like kind of work thematically, but also kick it off well. And so, how I ended up, I actually kind of drew a bit of inspiration from Boxboy because the first like big chunk, like first third of that graphic novel, there's not really much talking at all, um, because the main character can't talk, it's a box boy, basically, um, but, so one of the things, um, uh, that I've found over the years is, that, you know, that same limitations breed creativity. And like, like uh, I, was, I was doing a kids comic workshop this week and we we're doing a warm up and I was like, OK, if I tell you to draw, draw anything you want on the blank piece of paper, they might have a good idea. But more than likely, it's going to be like, I don't know what to draw. And so I was like, OK, draw a character wearing a fancy hat and eating a muffin and then all of a sudden they got all these like ideas like because there's they they could kind of channel that creativity into this one specific thing and so i thought okay i want to let's see if i can tell the opening of this family and kind of get you to know them and kind of get to the kind of the inciting incident of the story to kick things off but i can't use any words and see if that works because a lot of the times the dialogue was kind of clunky or it was it, it's also without having any words it helps the reader kind of put their own emotions and voice into the characters at the start I think and kind of helps relate it a bit more uh, easier so so that's uh, that was is where that went and uh, and and yeah and I and I love uh, it's one of my favorite Pixar movies too so I I, I appreciate that um, but. Uh, Said, yeah I don't know if it was sadder than up but it, it I hope I hope it was sad and made you feel awful
0: <laughs> it was very sad and it made there was a sudden rainstorm in the room but not outside so I need to get the house checked for leaks <laughs> oh no
1: I'm very sorry about that uh, another another thing actually there's um, I read once um, I think it is uh, Kazu Kibuishi the the author of the amulet series the very first book of that like the first uh, scenes of the first book well the the char- one of the characters the main character loses their dad I think in a car crash or something and it's quite a violent not like it's not like explicit like you know gore and or anything like that but it's quite a uh, an emotionally mature moment and he had said like that's kind of like his that's like the entrance uh, the, the height requirement to get on this ride for the authors because because like those amulet books are all age kind of category, too. So it's kind of almost like a hey, like if this is too much, uh, you know, maybe you're not ready for you. It's not the book for you yet. But so that also was kind of a little bit due because I know there was going to be some heavy, heavier themes um, dealt with in the book. So that was kind of like a, a like a little early heads up. So it's not a, a bait and switch for maybe younger readers who might not have been ready for that
0: discard them a little bit at the start instead of all throughout how did you go about getting people to read this along the way knowing that you had that heaviness to kind of worry about yeah that's um it's that's a good question um
1: one of the big things in in the book too it's it's this balance of like one of the little taglines I had going over in my head as I was writing was that thing where this this is a story about uh, the importance of letting go, but also the power of holding on and like like what I found in my own kind of journey through through different kinds of griefs that that kind of birthed the story was uh, like you can't like I need to let go of a lot of these things that can kind of hold you down but there's also such a power in holding on to like like not just abandoning it all together but holding on to those um those good memories those good times the the bad memories and bad times too but like just finding that balance and balancing the the dark with the hope um and and having to paint like the dark times with a really dark brush so that when the light comes it's it's a lot the contrast is a lot brighter um so just kind of letting people read that knowing like you know there's going to be this balance and this journey going through and and also trying to hear their feedback on on like okay well this is working this isn't working this is oh this is maybe a bit too much um and yeah so that was that was
0: definitely a a, a ride as well And do you think your art style helped out with keeping that balance in there?
1: Yeah, actually, that's a great, great observation and comment, I think, because the the art style, it's definitely a lot more kind of cartoony. And um, it's, I think it helps also have a contrast with some of the themes that are going on inside of the book too, where it's it almost helps make it a bit more palatable or accessible. Um, and uh, and and I think that contrast is really interesting. It, it took me a while when I was to kind of find my art style. I used to just always try and draw like John Romita Jr. and uh, more like he's also still cartoony, but like more realistic styles. And I just found that like, I love that kind of art style, but I didn't enjoy drawing it. And then I would just never finish anything. I'd get frustrated or I'd give up. And then I, I started eventually kind of develop this my own like cartoony kind of style. And, and um, so it's been interesting kind of pairing that with stories that uh, resonate with me more that deal with kind of some sometimes heavier things. And uh, I think it's an interesting, interesting pairing.
0: So what I've got here is a reader review copy. Uh, and this one is all black and white, except for the cover. Is that the way the book is going to be when it's released?
1: Uh, yes. The, so the interior is all um, black and white with uh, with tones, gray tones. Um, and with that, I it's like I wasn't when I started working on the graphic novel, too. I wasn't sure like I, I had not didn't have it locked in to like have like a publishing deal or anything with invader or anyone i like i had mike's ear and we were talking about it but it wasn't there wasn't anything locked in so as i was making it i'm like oh, and it's a longer one it's the longest graphic novel i've ever made and so and for me personally for, some reason I know a lot of other artist friends they they love the coloring process and it goes by really quickly for them. That's probably the part of making comics besides the thumbnailing and layouts and problem solving part of it. Um, the coloring part probably takes me the longest and comes the least natural to me. And so as I was making this, I thought like, okay, oh, well, I'm not going to color everything. Um, in case, like you know, I don't get a publishing deal, or I need to self-publish it, or something like that. So I'll just leave it black and white for now, and and then maybe color it after. But then, as I was doing it, I was feeling like it needs a bit more than just black and white. So I added some gray tones as I was working on the on the book. Um, and then uh, it just kind of worked out that it's it's uh, it's it's like that uh, black and white with gray tones, um, and then the color cover. Yeah.
0: I mean i think how it looks right now is great i think it works really well for the story it works well for the tone of the story um the one question i have for you about color really at all is what color is rick
1: (laughs) that's it rick rick the brick he uh, i picture him as like a red lego block looks like classic red lego block and uh and actually, I do have a few color test pages I did for some of the pages because um, I wanted to see how it was in color. Uh, and also like all ages books, right, like they like like a lot of times color is a lot more accessible for younger readers. It's just something that's like, oh, OK, let's let's go for it. Um, but uh, yeah, I had him. I had him as a red classic red kind of building block and then as he's like going through all the different battles and things he just gets a lot more paint chipped away and just just uh, just gets really beat up.
0: It's good. I also saw him as a red one. So I don't know if that's just because nice. it's the classic thing or because he's out there fighting monsters. So he's bringing violence. But I don't know. We'll see. But okay. also, I've seen a lot of kids that... heading over to the manga section of the comic store. So maybe mm. the black and white style is something that can still work for them
1: yeah absolutely and and actually and that's I've had a uh, good feedback from kids with the uh, box boy is was completely black and white uh, and I think that worked really well for that kind of story it is as well but there were no gray tones or anything with that and um, a lot of like like the, like the kids comic classes and workshops I do they'll they'll pick it up and read it and be going through it and, and I think it, it's interesting because when I was even not when i was a kid when i was uh grown up i still took a, had a hard time getting into black and white comics for the longest time like i remember going to the library and picking up a Jimbo ojimbo and being like ugh i can't get into this and then something just happened where it like switched over and all now i think i prefer black and white comics i just i love the line art i literally own every single volume of his Jimbo, ojimbo like i have two suit uh bookcase is full of full of it now um but uh but yeah i definitely think you're right and i think manga is a big a big help with that um making that more accessible that breaking down that barrier to reading reaching younger readers
0: do you think it's weird that we all pretty much grew up i'd say probably about our age maybe a little younger but Starting there and older, we'd all grow up reading the comics in the paper, and that's all black and white, and nobody cared. But then you get something like this color, color, I want all my color yeah that's actually a really good point
1: and that is those are the very first comics i was ever exposed to were the newspaper comics garfield i i loved collecting all the garfield comics and actually i don't know if you've ever heard of a comic strip called cul-de-sac by richard thompson that's my favorite comic strip of all time and yeah, unfortunately, he passed away from uh, he had from complications with Parkinson's disease, I believe, um, a few years ago now, or several years ago. So the strip only had like five years worth, but it's just the most beautiful, beautifully drawn strip and funniest and most heart strip. And and actually, the first collections have forewords written by Bill Watterson, um, who was just praising it. Uh, but yeah, comic strips were my absolute favorite and the black and white dailies are my absolute favorite too growing up so that is kind of funny that you mentioned that because I think that's a lot of well it was anyway when back when newspapers were uh, plenty uh, kids first entry into comics Um,
0: yeah when you were making something like this just all the different characters how hard was it for you to stay away from like the copyright magnets.
1: Yeah, that's a good question too. Uh, that was something I was trying to be conscious of as well. Um, uh, so basing like the the stuffies off of my own stuffies that were just like generic, kind of stuffies that I had brought back from um, I, I was actually born in South Africa and we immigrated when I was four years old to Canada, where I am right now. Uh, and so they were all just I brought all these stuffies within suitcase of what my parents did when we flew over and there's just all these generic random stuffies that aren't on brand, though, the one like Rick the Brick, I, I was trying to be really careful to say, you know, that's a building block. It's not a Lego piece. Um, just kind of all building blocks look alike so that was uh, that one I was trying to be really careful with for sure um, but yeah you can definitely get into territory where it's like oh actually there's a, a, one of the next graphic novel ideas I have is a comic called uh, Bruce Justice Is it's like a it's like an all ages murder mystery whodunit but the detective's name is Bruce Justice it's a uh, and the the comic is it's like <laughs> so he's a detective detective uh, uh, based on like his his department is mythical homicide, so he investigates all of these. Well, what would be kind of like um, royalty free. Uh, characters, like mythical characters. So the one I was working on was a holiday themed one called Bluedoff the Dead-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Bruce Justice Holiday, Who Done It. And I was looking up the things and I was like, oh yeah, Santa, that's like all the other reindeer. They're all like the Tooth Fairy. Uh, There's this Easter bunny. They're all suspects in it. They're all public domain. And then it's like Rudolph isn't for another 15 years or whatever. And so my one friend's like, I just call him Bluedoff and it can be a different character. And so I was like, okay, this is uh, now this is Bluedoff. And he's like the hotshot new reindeer. He's got a blue nose and he's the the murder victim. And um, that one I've kind of put on the back burner a bit. I think that's also going to be a bit of a harder sell, just like a a kid's murder story. So um, all ages murder. But uh, yeah, I I like I like writing stories that are very uh, genres that don't seem to kind of fit with all ages uh, and trying to make it
0: into an all ages story trying to think now of the worst thing you could possibly do but still be able to pull off making it all ages the murder might be it <laughs> yeah.
1: well i've got uh actually the next like big idea or next big graphic novel i want to work on that i've got almost all laid out i got a lot of characters designs going um and i'm kind of almost ready to kind of pull the trigger and start into production on it is and is like a kid's horror story about hope Uh, so that's another one that's going to be interesting and again limitations breed creativity right trying to find ways to tell a story with these limitations how can i tell a story that is you know has these themes but is also accessible to
0: a, a 90 year old and a six year old so the kickstarter for this one ended back in january and now it's going to be in comic stores how exciting is that for you?
1: Uh it it It's the it's the coolest thing. Um, I had a teacher in grade three named Mrs. Kokotailo, who I still remember, and she had this thing called Authors Day. So all month long we'd spend we'd write stories and draw pictures and she'd collect them into these little like staple booklets with a cover on it. And the last Friday afternoon of every month, we would spend the afternoon reading our comics, our stories to the classroom and they'd like vote on it and they'd have fun. And that's the first time. I remember uh, being complimented for something from someone other than my mom about <laughs> like uh, about something that I had done and something that I really started enjoying doing and from that from that moment I've always had a dream of being like oh it'd be so cool to like make a book and like hold it and have it and uh, and I like I love books comics books libraries are my favorite thing Um, and so, to like actually see it and hold it it's it's literally a dream come true uh, it's and again, I still won't believe it until like u p s somehow brings it here. How many copies of your own books do you have at your house? <laughs> Uh, quite a few. I, re- I remember with Box Boy, I was like the first graphic novel that was published. I was like, "Oh yeah, can I order like a c- couple hundred copies just to have?" Uh, they're like, "Yeah, sure, you can do that." <laughs> uh, so I still have like a-, a case of them, but it's but uh, it's been it's been fun. I I I I, I probably am the biggest uh, buyer of my own books. So
0: <laughs> the publisher doesn't care who. Buys it, do they? <laughs> no, no. I, I'm helping my book sales. It's great. It all works together. Do you just conveniently leave them around the house so when people come over to visit, they. Oh, look, here's a book that Taysen wrote.
1: Oh, yeah. There's like. There's, uh, a, I'm looking right now actually at a copy of Boxboy. I've got propped up in a way that. It catches your eyeline as you walk through the door. It's just copies all over the place. <laughs> Definitely. Couple in every bathroom, at least, right?
0: <laughs> yep. What's the biggest difference for you getting a book ready for a Kickstarter versus getting one ready to just go straight to stores? That's a good question, um, and that's actually another place where uh,
1: Mike and everyone at Invaders Comics uh, like really helped because uh, they kind of put together the Kickstarter, they got it all organized and uh, got all the graphics down and the tiers done. Uh, and that's like that's like a huge, huge thing that uh, I'm so grateful for, uh, and like I'm so grateful for like these publishers that support indie works and indie books is, and, and like and as you can tell, like before we started recording it took about like 20 minutes for me to figure out how to actually connect with you because i'm awful with technology and that kind of stuff um and it's that's something where like like the kickstarters and the distribution and stuff is i i have a lot of uh friends comic friend artist friends who uh, self-publish a ton of stuff and do a lot of kickstarters and things and it's so much work and i have no idea how they stay sane doing that. Um, So I was really grateful for invader kind of taking the lead on that and setting everything up. Uh, And even with that, uh, like I, all I did was basically uh, send in a couple images and, uh, and a couple suggestions. And so I wasn't really doing anything of that. But still, I was checking refresh every, every few minutes to see like, Oh, has it gone up any? Oh, has it dropped any? And even with that, it was kind of a good kind of stressful, but It was an interesting experience, for sure.
0: So for things going forward, if you have your choice, I know, you know, publishers are going to have their own plan. But would you rather go try to kickstart something or try to get it straight to source? Um, that's for me, like whatever, whatever, um,
1: whatever gets it into stores would be is great i i know like with the with when the the pandemic kind of overturned a lot of business models and way distribution models and things especially with publishers that helps and support and publish indie works um and so like the kickstarter is a great way to kind of help uh, get pre-sales in and also raise awareness uh, and uh, of like like the book here so because uh, I know like like there's distribution through the comic stores through through diamond and it's in the catalogs and that and then the Kickstarter just helps bring a whole bunch more eyeballs towards it and, and can you help you do like some extra cool things with different tiers like um, like the has got a, a really cool Kickstarter exclusive variant cover um, and like this cool metal book plate and things like that so any combination, whatever whatever it takes to, to get the book into readers' hands, I'm all for.
0: I like that, because I just want to see cool things. I don't really care how I get it. I realize I'm paying, like, $10 for an issue of a comic when it's all said and done through Kickstarter. But I'm not doing that to get an issue of the comic. I'm doing that to make sure that it gets made. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's
1: a, actually such a cool thing too, being able to kind of help support the creation of these projects. Um, and it, and and I was thinking too, like like I I don't think I'd ever would have been able to be in this position without like there's a lot of um, as technology has grown and social media and things like that, there's a lot of awful things that come with it, and there's also a lot of really great things where it's being able to help connect. Different connect people, connect artists and creators with people who are able to, who are passionate about bringing those stories to a wider audience. Um, and something I've learned like, through my years making comics is the comic making community is so nice and so like helping each other, which it, it's, it's almost goes against like the, the, what you would think because like it's, it's, you know, it's competitive to try and get your book out there. And there's so many, you know, that's a tough thing to do. But every single person from like someone just working on a comic just for just for the fun or just for to distribute to their friends to like big name creators who've been doing it for decades, everyone I've ever like seen and talked to is always really nice about helping out, passing on advice, kind of lifting each other up. It's a really cool community.
0: And that's something that I've seen from this side of it, too. <laughs> It's like there's not a... I mean, obviously, you have your bad people because every group has bad people, but there's not a ton of bad people who stick around and stay mixed in to at least the circles that I've gotten myself entrenched into. And I love that. Yeah, that's... I. I yeah, I agree with everything you just said there. I don't want to give away the ending here to The Keepsakers, but is this a world that you can see yourself going back to without having it be prequels and kind of at-the-same-time-type stories? Good question, and
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've i kind of got loosely mapped out in my mind. I've got a few different other graphic novel ideas that I'd like to get to. Um, in my life, and I've got a way that they're all kind of connected, like they're all part of the same world. Maybe not a direct sequel, but like this, this, uh, this main, so there's these monsters and like that horror, all, all ages horror comic for kids about hope that I want to make next. Um, like the main kind of monsters and villains from it, they, they are, there's a, they, they kind of, come from this world that's in the keepsakers in a in a way that happens in, in the future after how this story ended uh i don't know there's i've got all this lore built up in my mind and probably will never explicitly put it out in like the standalone graphic novels but it all kind of connects and if someone asked me someday i'd be like yeah so this is this and this is that something i learned from when when uh, we, we were editing this graphic novel remember when i was saying how um joey was like this is really cool but why does this random kid give the stuffy to becky why like i don't understand that it seems out of nowhere uh and it's like oh yeah that's right like unless you'd read box boy uh and like paid attention to like a few different little foreshadowing things at certain parts in the book it wouldn't it doesn't have any emotional impact whatsoever so i've got this lore all built up in my head um how it can all connect uh, and and actually, there's a, a little bit of uh, a little box boy cameo in the Keepsakers, too. During one of the scenes, you can kind of see him in one panel. So it's kind of like foreshadowing a bit of where where he ended up after after that book. So uh, long way of saying, yes, definitely this world will be revisited, but probably in a more subtle
0: way. So all of this giant interconnecting world's nest. Is that because you like creating that kind of universe or because you want to cut down on the number of characters you have to make designs for?
1: <laughs> That's like actually a great question. I, I love character designing in after I've done making the characters and whenever I have to make them, I'm like, this is the worst. I hate this. This is I just pull my hair out. But um, so at uh, mostly because i love just the concept of like oh this is all part of the same world it's not th- there will all be different stories and they'll all be different um kind of uh like themes to them and different and different timelines it's not like direct in the in like the like oh this is like the next year or whatever they might be like decades later in the future or earlier or whatever but i like that kind of idea of like oh it's all kind of connected in a way Uh, It's like that like that Pixar movie theory that you see floating on the internet sometimes how like everything's in the same world it's like oh that's kind of cool um but it but unfortunately no because the character designs everyone has like every has a new set of cast of characters and so even just talking about it now I'm feeling tired because I'm thinking of like oh that's more
0: characters I need to design so besides being able to magically have character designs pop into your head with absolutely no work whatsoever um what tips do you have for somebody who wants to get into making comics for themselves
1: oh great question so the biggest tip i can say is just finish a comic like the whole whole reason like the the main like the reason that without this not it, nothing else could have happened that box boy got published was because I'd finished a comic, and that's like with especially with like um, young creators what I work with in the comic workshops and stuff that's the number one I think I tell them like just have something that you're finished because that's how I started I like I love drawing like I told you like grade three and growing up and I got away from it for a while and then like. About a decade ago, I I was at my parents' for dinner, and I went downstairs and found two suitcases filled with comics that I'd made growing up, Uh, and they were all, like, three, four pages, and then blank, 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 and I hardly ever finished anything. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can finish a comic from start to finish. Uh, And then once I finished it, it it was almost like a, a superpower was unlocked, where I was like, oh, the next comic I made, still a lot of work, it was still tough, but it was a little bit... Easier in a way because it was like, oh, I know I've done this before. There's the, I know like what, how long it takes this road to go. Um, and then it, and that just kind of helped lead up. So, my biggest advice would be just make a one page comic from start to finish, or just make a, make a, like a, like a, a comic strip. And once you finish something, it's like you've made a finished comic. That's a huge accomplishment that, that puts you ahead of like, like uh, so many other comics that like in my suitcase that were not finished. Right. And um, so that's the biggest thing. Just make something, finish something. Don't worry about it being perfect. Just just make it and finish it and keep kind of building on it. And then the other thing would be just like keep on consuming the stories and entertainment that you enjoy and that you love. Um, and that challenges you like read books, watch movies, play video games, play game board games, go for walks, uh, listen to music. All that stuff is, is something is what you can draw of and where stories come out of. And that, um, that's like, I think that's, those are the two biggest things. And then the last one would be keep a sketchbook because uh, drawing is a thing that I've noticed, um, For me personally, I you get and everybody, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. But it happens so little at a time that you don't really notice it. And there's always going to be someone else you look at and you're like, oh, that's so much better. And it can get really discouraging. So if you keep a sketchbook, put the date you start on it, just fill it up. And then by the time you finish the sketchbook, flip through to the start and you can see like, oh, wow, I have made like progress. And it's like an encouraging kind of thing. So so keep a sketchbook keep on consuming stories and
0: entertainment and uh, and just finish something those would be my big tips to assume that tip number zero is actually start making the comic self glare <laughs>
1: uh, yeah well yes yeah, like that's the hardest part like I told you beginnings are the hardest part for me for making the comic and it's uh it's a lot of and like the box boy graphic novel that started by just like some random doodling, mindless sketching in my sketchbook and this character popped up and then I started thinking like, oh, where, what's that story? What could that come from? Uh, and then the other big uh, advice that's helped me a lot when I get stuck in developing a story is uh, I heard it said like, try and imagine you're watching the movie trailer for your comic and like think about what that would look like the camera angles and the the music and, and like all the moments that they show from it and cut to and then kind of like write down those moments and then kind of build out from them and, and write them that's kind of helped me get stuck and then the other thing is just knowing like there's you're always going to be uh a time times when you're making your comics where it's you well, go through I've heard it I think it's Kazu Kibuishi again uh, I first heard say this or read that he said it, saying like the creative process is you're super excited this is awesome and then it's like oh this is not that great and then oh, this is awful, and then, oh, I'm awful, I shouldn't be doing it, and then, oh, this isn't bad, and then back to, this is awesome, I love it, and it's that kind of like ups and downs. So no, that's the other thing, when you finish a comic, even if it's just a small thing, one page, then make a three-page one, make a five-page one, you'll experience those ups and downs, and so when the downs come, you start to realize, oh, this this is going to go back up eventually, Um, and you can put it away, come back to it, but Yeah.
0: Well, as we start to wrap things up, I have one question completely off topic that I feel like I really need to ask you. Who's your favorite Muppet? Oh, that's really, that's a great
1: question. Um, uh, Grover for sure is Grover's a Muppet, right? He's
0: considered a Muppet. I leave it open-ended on purpose so you can count him if you want, or if you need to use that to make your decision, you can not count him, but it sounds like you're counting him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, Grover, 100%. I've always loved his, like, zany energy and randomness. And one of my absolute favorite kids' books growing up uh, was The Monster at the End of This Book. It was, like, the first, like, big M. Night Shyamalan twist ending that I'd ever experienced in my life. And I was like, what? I won't say it in case there's anyone reading who or listening who hasn't read it yet. But I, I love that book so much. I still have it.
0: It's a classic for a reason you should go read it it's a really quick read everybody you can probably finish it in a day or two <laughs> but taste it has been great talking to you about all of this if people want to hear more from you where else can they find you around the internet
1: for sure. Um, uh, thank you so much for talking to me, too. I, I've had a blast um, again. I'm not super technologically savvy, so I don't really have a, a, a web page or anything set up that I really should. Um, but you can find me on um, Instagram, Taysen underscore Martindale. I post there um, probably most often. Uh, I'm not on social media ton ton. Um, and uh, also just email me. like tason.martindale at gmail.com so my name with a dot in between at gmail.com um if you ever have any questions or comments um i love talking about comics and making comics and making stories and uh and uh yeah i'm always open for a
0: chat and as always we will have links to all that stuff down in the show notes because clicking links is so much easier than trying to remember how to spell things And as always, if you want to hear more from me, the best place to do that is just to head over to PlayComics.com, where there's links to all the social media things, including Twitter, because it hasn't completely exploded yet. You can also help support the show by sharing it with friends. I mean, really, that's how I get guests. That's how I get new listeners. Just share it with friends. Or, you know, you can give the show money. and, by extension, me money, because hosting costs money and stuff, and... They don't like being paid with exposure for some reason. Haven't quite figured that out yet. So you can be like Onola Class or Dan McMahon or Carl Antonovitz and give the show a little bit of money. It's greatly appreciated. But also, if you can't or don't want to for whatever reason, that's cool too. I won't hold that against you. What I will hold against you is if you don't go check out some of the other shows on the Geek Network. Mostly, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., because I'm on that, and I don't have to edit it. And really, that's the best part of podcasting, is not having to edit it, but still getting to do all the fun parts. If you like the music that I'm rudely talking on top of right now, head on over to soundcloud.com slash best-day to check out Best Day's music. Most of all, just grab a game, grab a stack of comics, and go find yourself a new favorite character.